0: Today, I'm back in Exodus, and we are studying the Ten Commandments. So today, I'm going to do part of the Second Commandment. The implications of the prohibition of images and idols are so profound, and they've been important throughout church history, and they're still important today. The issues are still on the table. There's still a battle about what, uh, place icons uh, can have, and fact is they're being abused and misused and brought back into the evangelical church. So I'm going to lay out for you why God is forbidding the use of images in worship and show you from the Old Testament Scriptures that these images are not neutral. They're very powerful. They're very dangerous. And there's a good reason why God has forbidden the use of images. Let me first give you an overview, so you know where I'm going here. God forbids idols, specifically images. Moses then preaches a sermon on the topic of idols and images in Deuteronomy chapter 4. The people, and by the way, I'm going to go there and show you Moses' sermon on this, The people have not seen God's form, we're told there. Idols often represent the host of heaven. I'm going to show you that this host of heaven is not just about planets and stars, but it's about spirit beings that are in the heavenlies. The host of heaven have been allotted by God to the pagan nations. That's a very interesting phenomenon. And when Israel rebels she is warned that she'll be turned over to the host of heaven. And that's not a good place to be. Israel was Yahweh's, but if she rebelled, she'll be turned over to the same forces that are dominating the pagan nations. Let's go to our text in Exodus 20. And I have just four and in part of five. So this, the rest of this talks about generational curses and visiting iniquities to the third and fourth generation. So I'm going to preach that next week. This week we'll do images. Next week I'll explain the, what it means when it says that iniquities are visited to the third and fourth generation. Let's look at our passage. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. The first commandment was about the proper object of worship. God himself alone is to be worshiped and served. The second commandment is about the mode of worship. God will not allow himself to be served through images. There's no image to be made of Yahweh, and there's no image to be used to worship Yahweh, and there's no image that can mediate between God and man. And this heaven above or earth beneath or water under the earth would give a comprehensive prohibition. Wherever you might think you find something that would be a valid image, it's not. It's not the prohibition of having any possible images whatsoever because they actually had images in the tabernacle. In fact, there were images in uh, the temple of oxen and so on, but what's prohibited is the mode. The mode of worship is the issue, the mode of worship. And so no one can make themselves an object and say, this object is my way of coming to God or mediates God to me, or so on. And we're not to have any of those. Now, in the ancient Near East these idols had to do with suggesting the presence of the deity thus represented. So if the idol is sitting on your uh, table, you're saying that this idol represents whatever deity that I'm worshiping, and sometimes the idol's presence was to entice favor from a deity. But God speaks words, and this is going to be a big contrast for us to, Pay attention to the uniqueness of God is that He reveals Himself through His words. God came on Sinai and spoke. The thing, as I've been saying, the thing that keeps us from becoming pagan is the Word of God. God has given us His Word. And human beings, by default, if not acted upon by God's grace, Will always be pagan. We have pagan inclinations. They are always there. They're always right at the doorstep. And all you have to do is bring away the restraint of the word, and paganism happens. Our nation is more pagan now than it probably ever has been. People have images. They have these angels, and they have uh, they want to. They have spirituality that's not mediated to them through God or His Word or through Jesus Christ. And as I said several times recently, the reason for that is because the Word of God is not taught in the churches. And the less the Word of God is taught, the more we become pagan. Our kids become pagan. We become pagan. That just happens because that's the way the whole world is. Pagan. But God gave us the Word. Now, the images are how the pagans serve their deities. Now, there's other things here that, uh, that I'm not going to turn to all of these that are prohibitions that show how serious God is about no idols, no gods, no images. Do not mention their names, Exodus twenty-three thirteen. Do not practice divination, Deuteronomy 18. I've talked about that before. That's how the pagans try to contact their deities in order to get information. They're to destroy their places of worship, Deuteronomy 12, 2. And they're not to make an image to represent Yahweh. That is strictly forbidden. You cannot do this. And we'll see that they actually did do that while Moses was still up on Sinai. Now notice in uh, the very first part of verse 5 of Exodus 20, you shall not worship them or serve them. So this explains what's being forbidden. Okay? I read an article about this. A few weeks ago, as I was anticipating I'd be preaching from the uh, Ten Commandments, and I wanted to know what's prohibited and what isn't for a Christian. There's been a debate uh, in church history about whether it's forbidden for us to have pictures of Jesus, or, for example, can you have a children's Bible with pictures in it? And some groups have have said, no, you can't even have that. But we we read a very well-written article that says, no, that's not the intent. And could a picture of Jesus be an idol? Yes, it could. And this particular author that I was reading told a story that he'd heard from somebody else who had a picture of Jesus in his room. And the picture of Jesus had, was painted so that Jesus had kind of a demure expression on his face, sort of like Mona Lisa type thing. Okay, And this guy said that's how he got his answers, he said he'd, he'd pray, and then he'd look at the picture of Jesus. And if it looked like Jesus was smiling, then that meant Jesus approved what he was asking. And if he looked at the picture and Jesus was frowning, then it was a bad thing. And so he was actually using a picture of Jesus for divination. That's divination. Now, if that's what's going on, that is idolatry, and that's forbidden, okay? Okay. But if there's an illustration in the children's Bible of Zacchaeus in the tree and Jesus telling him to come down, uh, it's not intended to mediate between God and man. It's not intended to be the presence of the, of the God or of Jesus and so forth. But just be aware of this. Humans want to be pagan. It's their nature. And we'll, we'll take just about anything and try to turn it into a tool for divination if we're not careful. Even the pages of the Bible. You know, throw, throw, up, throw up the Bible and it lands on the floor, and pick it up and whatever page, that's what God's trying to tell you. No, it's the words that are the Word of God. The tabernacle had images and so on. Let me give you an example from the Bible that you've probably heard of. I'm not going to turn to all these things, so I have a lot to preach here today. Remember when they made the brazen serpent? Moses made the brazen serpent, and when he held it up, The people were healed when they looked at it. Well, later in their history, it tells us in the Bible that Hezekiah destroyed that serpent because they'd kept it around and they were using it as an idol. Okay, so that shows you something. At one point, the brazen serpent was valid because it was ordained by God and it brought healing to them and it was a type of Christ. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. But then they took it and they were offering incense to us and it became an idol. And Hezekiah had to destroy it. So you can see that there's a intent to worship or serve or mediate a deity that's forbidden. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy 4 and learn some things from Moses' sermon about the second commandment, about images. Deuteronomy 4, 15. So watch yourself carefully since you did not see any form... On the day the Lord spoke to you at Oreb from the midst of the fire. Now, that's what we've been preaching out from Exodus. They didn't see any form. Now, it's amazing how biblical scholars that are very, very brilliant people get things wrong because they just don't read. Or they, I don't know what happens. But I've read, I don't know how many scholars say the reason they can't have an image of Yahweh is because Yahweh has no form. He's invisible, he's spirit, and he can't make an image of a spirit, so that's why it's not even possible. But that's not what it says in the Bible, and I'm going to show you that. Now, I realize that ontologically, that means as an order of being, God is omnipresent, invisible and in spirit, in his ultimate essence and being. But when when Yahweh came and appeared to Moses, he did have this very form, Tamuna that's used here in verse 15, and we're going to see that in Numbers 12 and verse 8. Look at Numbers 12 and verse 8. And we're going to see that that's not the reason for the prohibition, the lack of a form. The reason was that God did not want them to make one. They did not want them to make a form. Here's what it says. Now, this was when Moses' authority was challenged, and here's what God says, Numbers 12, 8, in defense of Moses. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form, tamunda, same word, he beholds the form of the Lord, Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? Now this is really interesting. Moses alone, nobody else, Moses alone beheld the form of Yahweh, it Uh, It says at the burning bush that the angel of the Lord came. And and whatever that was, whatever type of theophany, some people think the pre-incarnate Christ, but whatever, Moses was there, and he saw a form. And Moses was the one who received the law. Moses is the one who was the mediator who spoke for God. And Moses is the one who gave the rules about what prophets should be listened to and what not to listen to. Now, I'm going to show you something that's very interesting. Because Moses saw, Moses is the mediator, and he speaks for God. Look at 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. This now makes sense to me why the apostles had to have seen the resurrected Christ. Moses alone saw Yahweh. The apostles saw the resurrected Christ. What did John say here? What was from the beginning? Well, we have heard... What we have seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So, we haven't seen the resurrected Christ, but we believe in him. But we believe based on the words of his apostles who speak for God. We believe in Christ because Christ came, they witnessed him speaking, they heard him, they touched him. He was tangibly in the flesh, incarnate, God and they those apostles gave us his words so that we can believe the gospel of Jesus Christ now the, that's the very first verse in first john the very last verse in first john says guard yourself from idols the issue is this are we going to believe the words of the apostles who did see Christ or are we going to try to create some sort of a uh, uh, unmediated contact point, okay? Are we going to get a statue of Jesus and get down before it and think that he hears us because we're in front of this image? That's the pagan temptation. Idols are always sitting right around the door waiting to pop back up into the church. Think about it. Moses saw the form. Moses mediated the word. The apostles saw the resurrected Christ. The apostles gave us the word of Christ. They speak for God. Back to our sermon. That is Moses' sermon, Deuteronomy 4, 16 to 18. Then he gives a list of things that are prohibited specifically. So that you do not act corruptly. Okay, remember now, you saw no form, but you heard words. So so do not act corruptly and make corruptly and make a graven image for yourself in the form, there's that same word again, of any figure the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, and the likeness of any fish that is in the water below, below the earth. Now, all of these categories are come right out of Genesis 1. All right? And what this idolatry is, is, is a major role reversal. If you remember Genesis 1, God created in these days, created, 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 and then in the end, creates man, man and woman are created in the image of God, and they're given dominion over all the other created things. Idolatry is a role reversal, because the man and woman were to be submitted to God, and as God's representatives on the earth, they were to have dominion over the other creatures and beings. When they make idols and worship these things, they're rejecting the God who's over them. They're rejecting their role as having dominion over these things. And they're putting themselves under the created order. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Yes, that's Romans 1. That's Romans 1. So they're given over to reprobation when they do that. They're they're worshiping the creature rather than the creator. So it's forbidden. Now... This goes a step further. And this is where it really gets interesting. Okay, so now we know we can't make a form of Yahweh, because they didn't see him, they, but they have his words, and Moses saw him, Moses gave us the words. Can't have the form of any of these things that God created on the earth. And now it goes beyond that. And beware lest you lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and be drawn away and worship them and serve them, those which the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Now this is another one. It was interesting that the scholars, they don't know what to do with this verse, so they take that and try to say, well, it's a good thing because the peoples are able to enjoy the stars and uh, the sun and so on. But that's not what I was talking about. Okay, It's a lot more uh, interesting than that, and it's a lot more literal than that. First thing we need to do is to determine who the host of heaven are. And I say, who? Now what? Who is this host of heaven? And why would God allot the host of heaven to the pagans? Let's go to Deuteronomy 29, 26, about this allotment. And then we're going to go into 1 Kings 22. Deuteronomy 29, 26. And when they went and served other gods, like the host of heaven and worship them, gods whom they have not known, and whom he had not allotted to them. Alright, so God allots the host of heaven to the pagans, but not to Israel. And what we're going to see is that Israel is specifically God, Yahweh's allotment. Yahweh rules directly over Israel through her representatives, prophets, priests, and kings. The pagans are under the host of heaven. Let's go on. What's this host of heaven? Well, I can prove to you right here from 1 Kings 22, 19 to 22, that these are beings, these are spirit beings, because it tells us right here. This was the story about Micaiah, who was the true prophet, and then the 400 false prophets who had been deceiving Ahab. And Micaiah says this, Therefore, verse 19, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord, Yahweh, sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this while another said that. Now these are personalities, beings. They're, they're speaking. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And if you know the story, he said, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And that'll get him to do it. So the host of heaven are spiritual entities, fallen ones, because this one offered to be a lying spirit, and God cannot lie, and the holy angels are not going to lie. So this is a fallen being, a fallen spirit being, that's part of this host of heaven that had been allotted to the pagans, and this one was going to come and be a lying spirit. So they're spirit beings. Now I looked up the phrase, you can do this if you have a computer concordance, look up for yourself the phrase, host of heaven. And you can find every mention in the Bible. And there's now one place where it unambiguously has to be interpreted just as stars, and galaxies, but there are many places where it has to be interpreted as spirit beings. So I'm suggesting that the Bible is telling us that the host of heaven are spirits, fallen ones of some sort, spiritual entities, and that they've been allotted by God over the pagan nations. And I believe that these are the stoichia of Colossians and Ephesians, or the principalities and powers that are talked about in the New Testament, under which the nations exist. Now, let's go to another passage. Hang on to your hat. Um, (laughs) This gets even more interesting. I I didn't realize when I started writing this sermon where it was going to take me, but once I found this host of heaven thing, and this allotment, and apportionment, and so on, all the lights start coming on. Now, here's a passage, Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, about which there's a translation issue. The Masoretic text says the sons of Israel. But the older texts, and such as were found in Qumran, that are far, far older than the Masoretic text, and the Septuagint, which was translated before the time of Christ from Hebrew text, have this as the sons of God. Now, let's read it. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance... Now, this is the allotment to the nations, all right? Uh, When did this happen? Let me stop right there. When did this happen? Well, this happened after um, Genesis 10 and 11 when you have the table of nations. There There was 70 nations, and they're given an inheritance or an allotment, okay? When he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, Septuagint Qumran reading. There's a document on our website written by Dr. Michael Heiser about this verse. It's a 27-page document with detailed theological and textual arguments proving that this is the correct reading and what some of the implications of it are. I've met Dr. Heiser when I was out at a think tank in California, and he's one of the top scholars that works for the Logos Bible software. He's a brilliant Scholar in the biblical languages. You can go to our website under reference links, go under sermons, reference links, and you can read the document there from Dr. Heiser proving that sons of God is the correct reading and and then what are the implications of that that I'm preaching to you today. Then it says in verse 9, for the Lord's portion. Now notice the difference. There's the peoples, the boundary of the peoples, but then the Lord's. For Yahweh's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. So what Deuteronomy is telling us, if we just want to read it literally for what it says here, is that all the pagan nations are under the sons of God, which, by the way, I'll show you who they are. They're they're also these same spirit beings. They're under the pagan, uh, under the stoichia, they're under this host of heaven, Israel is directly under Yahweh Himself. Now, Yahweh uh, the th- the, uh, th- has authority over all, right? And He sets up the rulers, be they spiritual or, or practical, and He has total authority over all things. But as you can see from the earlier passage in 1 Kings 22, He was working through these, um, yeah, through this host of heaven, to, to bring about things that happen. So, the portion that God kept for Himself is Israel, the land, and the people. They're the lords. They're uniquely the lords. Let's go on. Let's look at these sons of God. Who are the sons of God, and what are we talking about here? Let's look at Job, another place where the curtain is pulled back, and we get to see into the throne room how God is managing His own universe. Job 1 and verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh, and Satan came among them. So again, we have spirit beings in this heavenly uh, council who include evil ones, because Satan is here, and God is dealing with these spirits about what's going to happen on the face of the earth. Are you still following me? (laughs) people go... This is, this is maybe not what you expected when we were going to talk about... You, you probably thought I was going to be talking about statues of Mary. Well, I might do that too. But uh, as a matter of fact, this, this worldview that I'm laying out here, that is taught all the way from Genesis to Revelation, that is explained in the New Testament, it's just that we don't tend to take things literally. But this is the way it is. Okay? Now, let me... Let's go to another passage in Deuteronomy, and then I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Here is a discussion about how the pagans worshiped their God Deuteronomy 32 16 and 17. They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came late, lately, whom your fathers did not dread. So here it says that pagan idolatry is more than the idea that the idol is a piece of wood, although it's that and it's mocked for being that in Jeremiah and Isaiah. But any pagan that has an idol believes the idol represents the deity or mediates the deity or finds favor in the eyes of the deity. The idol actually is just a a touchstone to get you somewhere else. Okay? Because it says here, in fact, Paul says this in in 1 Corinthians as well, that they're sacrificing to demons. There are wicked spirit beings that literally exist that are called the host of heaven that the idol represents. So the pagans have their idols, and the pagans then put under the allotment of these Wicked beings under Yahweh and Israel cannot have idols. It's not that the pagans should, it's just the way they are, okay? But, the, but Israel cannot have these idols because Israel's directly under Yahweh. And they didn't see his form, they heard his words. And the Bible says words are more important than images. They say a picture's worth a thousand words is a lie. Absolutely, it's a lie. You know why? Because words convey. Rational content, and you can you can interpret an image however you see fit. Okay, so God gave Israel something special, something unique. God came to them, God spoke to them, and they didn't see a form, but they heard words. So they have it way better. The pagans don't know what they're worshiping. They're they're in the dark. They're in the fog. They put up their idols and they bow before them, and they think there's a deity, but they can't. And there is, but they don't know what it is or where it comes from. And they don't know if they have favor in the eyes of the deity or disfavor. They're pagans. We have the Word. We have God. He's ruling over us. And if we can't serve Him without a visual image to mediate us to God, then we're pagans. That's the issue. Okay? So, these are demons. They're real. They're out there. They're not imaginary beings. Now look at 2 Kings 17.16, which tells what happens when they forsook God. And I'm going to give you a worldview for under the Old Covenant, what it was like. 2 Kings 17.16. And they forsook all the commandments. Now what were the commandments? The words. They're called ten words. They don't want to hear God's words. They were tired of it. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord, Yahweh, their God, and made for themselves molten images even two calves and made an asherah and worshiped all the host of heaven. They had become pagan. The idols represent the host of heaven. The host of heaven are demons and wicked spirit beings that were allotted to the nations. Now, this explains so much. Think about it now, very carefully. Think about this. How could you be saved? Under the Old Covenant. Did you not have to go to Israel and obey God's law and dwell with the Israelites? You had to become a proselyte to be saved. If you were going to be faithful to Yahweh, that's where you had to go. Why? Because Yahweh ruled over Israel, the land and her people. The rest of the world out there is allotted to the demons. And if you stay in their situation, you're under their gods. You have to get out of it. But something changed when the new covenant came. But you know, this as this worldview that I'm laying out here for you, it really shows you how important and how unique Israel is. Israel was Yahweh's own allotment. And when Israel forsook God, he said this, I'm turning you over to the host of heaven. In other words, you're going to become pagans and see how you like it being under pagan kings and the pagan kings are under demons, principalities and powers of darkness. They're under those and that's what you're going to get. If you want the idols, that's fine. You're over to the pagans and you're not mine. Look at this in the New Testament. This one just blew me away. This this week, I barely got my sermon done because I got so excited to study it. I went all the way into Saturday before I was still working on my sermon on Saturday because the studying was so fun. This is Stephen preaching to Israel, recounting their history and bringing them up face-to-face with Messiah, and they ended up murdering him. But look at what Stephen said in the New Testament to Israel. But God turned away... That was from their fathers. And delivered them up to serve the host of heaven. He delivered them over to serve the host of heaven. In other words, he says, okay, now you're pagan. You don't want Yahweh. You don't want to obey my law. You don't want to do things my way. You want to have images and idols. Then you've got put yourself away from my allotment, Yahweh's allotment, Israel. And now you go over to the pagans and you get to serve the host of heaven. And you you don't like that. As it is written in the book of the prophets, it was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years. Was it not to me? It was not to me you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness. Was it, O house of Israel? What they did was they got kicked out and turned over to the host of heaven. Bad place to be. You don't want to be under the host of heaven. Now, if you're putting this together with last week, I just told you last week how to get out from under the host of heaven. Remember last week's sermon? You turn to Christ, and you get out from under Satan. And you have citizenship in heaven. And you're under the lordship of Christ. That's how you get out of it. Going to Israel won't do it now. That won't work until the millennium. Because the, the land is not yet restored under Messiah. And so the hosts of heaven are there too. Deuteronomy 4, 19. And back to our sermon in Deuteronomy 4, okay? Back to, back to Moses. 19b and then 20. All the hosts of heaven, and be drawn away, and worship them, and serve them, those which the Lord your God has allotted, there's our word again, to all the peoples under the whole earth. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession. So they were in Egypt, and there they were under the demons. They were under the gods. And the plagues, as I preached when we went through that, were Yahweh defeating one god after another after another that they used to worship in Egypt. Be it the frogs or the Nile or whatever. Yahweh was defeating their gods and, and taking Israel because they were because of the promise he had made to Abraham and, and defeated the, the army and brought them out and brought them to himself, brought them through the Red Sea, brought them the manna, brought them to Sinai. God comes down on Sinai. God speaks to them and takes them to be his people, his possession. And if they make idols, if they make images, they're saying to Yahweh, We'd rather live like the Egyptians. We'd rather be under the demons than have a loving God who has revealed himself and spoke words and married us, saying, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Apostasy is that bad. And we're warned about it in the book of Hebrews. So they're His. Then he says in his sermon, So watch yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of Yahweh, your God, the Lord, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And if that's familiar to you, it's because you read the book of Hebrews. It's quoted in Hebrews 12, 29. Hebrews is a warning against apostasy and idolatry. And so the author of Hebrews brings to mind what God had said to the Old Covenant people when he warned them against apostasy and idolatry. This is a solemn warning. And why is this reiterated so often? Why is this emphasized so strongly? Why do the prophets again and again preach on this? Why? Why? Because this is a fatal thing to go over to the gods and to have the idols. Why do people want them? They want them today. Why do people want them? Because the idol, and we're going to see this in our application, the idol is something they can tangibly have in their hand. It's something they can see. And the idol doesn't rebuke them. No, you, you, you put that little idol on there, you know, you get your statue or your idol or your deity and you put it on your dresser and when you get up, the idol's not going to say, all right, don't take the Lord's name in vain today. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't steal. Don't covet. No, the idol don't say that. In fact, the people with idols, they do all those things and they enjoy it. The idol's more tangible, The idol has no moral content. In the end, there'll be an idol that speaks, and it'll be the worst of them all. I did that a while back as an application point. That'll be the worst one. Let's go to some applications and implications. God is unseen and offers his words, not any image. We must beware being like the pagans who use images, whether mental ones or tangible ones, to access the spirit world, we must avoid unbelief that leads to idolatry. Let's go to the Exodus here. I'm going to do an application right out of the Exodus because this was what happened, okay? God warned them against having images. No, no image. You didn't see a form, you heard the words, listen to my words, don't make an image. But what do they do? And why did they do it? Look at this, Exodus 32:1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, "Come make us a god." Now, why did they do that? Well, because Moses was no longer visible. They couldn't see the form of Yahweh. Only Moses did that. Moses mediated his words. Moses spoke for God. He's on the mountain, and so they don't have anything tangible now. They don't have Moses, and they don't have a form, so they want a form. They want something tangible. They don't want to worship an unseen God. They need tangibility. So here's what they do. Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. See, this is the same issue in the book of Hebrews. Did you know that? This is exactly what Hebrews is about. We're making plans, God willing, to do a radio series through the book of Hebrews. And pray for us that (laughs) we'll have time to do that. The reason we're talking about it is I think that the book of Hebrews is the most applicable book to the evangelical church today. The book of Hebrews is a warning against apostasy, and we're living in the age of apostasy. And we better know what that book means. And what it tells us in Hebrews is that the reason they were going to apostatize from Christ was because he had gone up into heaven and they couldn't see him. Moses went up on the mount, they couldn't see him, they apostasized. Unbelievers have to have a tangible representation of their deity. Believers will believe even when they don't see. Come make us a God. Where where, did he go? I don't see any Moses. He's not telling us any more words. Let's just have our own God. So what did he do? So he took the gold from their hand, fashioned it with a graving tool, made it into a molten calf, and, and they said, look at what they said. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now what are they saying? They're saying... The golden calf represents Yahweh. Let the golden calf be your visible, tangible representation. Because you can't see Moses. And you never did see Yahweh. So here it is. This is Yahweh. That's who they had to think of. Who, who brought him out of Egypt? Yahweh. So here he is. Here's your Yahweh. And what did they do once they had a tangible God who doesn't speak? What did they do? They had a party. (laughs) They they had a raucous party. They did whatever they wanted to do. Because they're no longer restrained by the Word of God. What do you think will happen to our churches in America once we're not restrained by the Word of God? Well, we'll do what they did. Have a party. Do whatever we want. That's what will happen. Now, Paul made use of that in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 7, he talks about the Exodus 32 event. So it's kind of a segue here. He quotes them. what well, we just saw in Exodus. Now these things happened to them as examples for us. Why? So that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. They wanted a tangible deity that they made and they controlled. The invisible God of the whole universe is in heaven, is an awesome God. He's a consuming fire, and he's to be feared. The object on my mantle, if I get mad at it, I can bust it. I maintain control over the deity. Do not crave evil things as they crave. Do not be idolaters. Now we think, well, that would only apply to people who lived in pagan times when everybody had idols. No, it applies today. As some of them were, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. I debated a pastor, not on this topic, but this particular pastor says that he can go into an altered state of consciousness, that Jesus appears to his mind, and that this Jesus in his mind speaks to him, and that this Jesus takes him time-traveling into the past, and that this Jesus that comes to his mind allows him to talk to dead ancestors. I'm not making that up. Now, because it's mental, is it okay? No, because you have the same problem. You have a, a, a mediation, this... Well, as soon as the image becomes a mediator of some sort or a touch spot for, for your religious activity, you have an idol. Okay? So that's mental idolatry. Whether it's a, a piece of stone or a thing in our mind, it's still idolatry. So we have a reference here, a warning not to do that. In Revelation 13, 14, and 15, there's going to be an image that speaks, and everybody in the world that's not sealed by God will worship it. So us go to Hebrews. I, gotta, I have to go into Hebrews, and I can't preach this sermon without going into Hebrews. What is, Let's think about, again, Hebrews as a warning against apostasy. I think there's five specific warnings in Hebrews against apostasy. How does Hebrews begin? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who spoke to the fathers in many portions, many ways, has in these last days spoken to us in his Son, And so on. Hebrews begins with this statement. God spoke words. And if you don't believe those words, you're going to go somewhere else. When people don't want the word, they want the idol. Whether it's the idol of money, an idol of greed, or a literal pagan idol. And in the 21st century, that's the ones that are really going big now. People want to contact the spirit world through some means. All right, so it starts out with the word, but what does it warn us about here? For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Jesus is the high priest. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's in heaven. He's not visible. But we believe in Him. And if we're not satisfied with an invisible God who speaks words, who spoke words, we'll make a golden calf. Let me tell you about Jesus. When I'm talking about Jesus, I'm not just talking about a, a, world, a person who started a world religion. I'm talking about God who existed as God and with God from all eternity who came into human history, born of a virgin and lived a sinless life, who did miracles to, to tell everybody, to prove to everybody he's who he claimed to be, which is God incarnate. Jesus died for sins, and Hebrews says, once for all, once for all. Because God's wrath was directed against our sin, and his blood was shed. And if we believe in him, that blood washes away our sins, cleanses our conscience from dead works, and averts God's wrath, that's propitiation, averts, averts God's wrath against our sin. He, was, he rose on the third day bodily, and appeared to witnesses, that's these apostles I was telling you about, he ascended into heaven, and he's going to be there until he comes back, and he will come. He's coming again, bodily. Either to reward us if we've been believing him, or destroy us, if we're his enemy. The way to avoid that destruction is to repent and believe the gospel. Turn to him. Believe in him. We don't need the pagan idols. We don't need all the stuff that culture offers. We don't need to watch secular talk shows to hear about pagan spirituality. We need the gospel. We need Jesus Christ. Turn to him. And then, for those of you who have believed him and are saved and do know him, let his word penetrate your hearts. Let us be people of the book, people of the word, so that we don't fall into the temptations that are engulfing our entire society, church included. That's the warning. Hebrews 11.1. 1. We need to avoid unbelief. Absolutely, that's the problem, unbelief. Unbelief will always lead to idolatry. The pagans have been allotted the host of heaven, according to Deuteronomy. When Jesus was rejected by Israel, and it says in the Bible that Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That hasn't happened yet. So everybody in the whole world is under the host of heaven. Everybody. And as I preached last week, the only way to get out from there is repent and believe the gospel, and then you have citizenship in heaven, and you can obey secular authorities, and you don't have to worry about the principalities and powers because you're seated with Christ and heaven far above them. You, 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 it's, good, it's good to go to Israel, but it won't get you away from the host of heaven. Yeah, wait till the millennium, and it'll, and it'll be different. So why does it say faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen? That is the issue. Faith is the entire issue that's going to keep us from idolatry. Now, in the case of the Jewish people that were written to by the author of Hebrews, they were going back to things under the old covenant that one time were valid. And that's called apostasy. How much worse is it to go back to something that was never valid? All right? And what made them go back? Because Jesus is in heaven. It's just the golden calf all over again. We don't see Moses. We, we can't see the mediator. You say we have a mediator. I don't see any mediator. He's in heaven. But we can go to the temple, and there's the high priest in his glorious garb. We can even talk to him. And the blood that he sheds at Passover is tangible. We can see it. It's real. How do I know Jesus' blood was shed once for all? I can't see it. Oh, I know. We'll dream up something like transubstantiation so you can see the blood. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I could have preached this whole sermon just about church history and and idolatry. But I thought that it would have more impact to see at the heart what it's all about. So then you can see why it shows up in church history. It shows up because the pagan people who call themselves Christian don't want to believe. They want to make a tangible deity that they can put on their shelf. Do you believe? Do you believe? Yeah. One more slide. You may have seen it if you came to faith at risk. I'm just putting this up here. I hope it shocks you. This here, Christianity Today, supposedly the flagship evangelical magazine, has a picture on the cover of an evangelical digging up Catholic icons. And the article that's represented by the picture on the cover says that this is a good thing. The evangelicals are going back to Rome, and that's where we need to go. If you look at this, you see vivid demonstration of what happens when we prefer images and icons over God's Word. This happens because we rejected this, the Bible. We don't want to believe what it says. We can't believe in a Jesus is in heaven because we can't see him. We can't believe in the unseen God who's revealed himself in his word. We want an icon. We want our own. We're going to have a prayer labyrinth. We're going to have a practices that we learn from the monks and so on. The editor says these, this ancient church and its idolatry, cap, cap, he doesn't say that. That's my comment, captivated. Notice what it says here. I have it in red. The evangelical imagination. There's the problem right there. We, have a, we want to go by our imagination, not what God said. The false prophets of Jeremiah prophesied from their own imagination. You know, if people imagined that it would be nice to be, to be able to get down in front of this little uh, crucifix or this little statue of Mary and feel closer to God. Why do you, why Why do people do that? Why would anybody bow down in front of a statue of Mary and say all this stuff? They know the statue is not Mary, but it makes them feel closer to the Queen of Heaven. They're doing it because they don't believe. See, if we quit believing, then we go by our imagination and we go by our feeling. And just coming to church and hear a preacher teach straight out of the Bible, this thus saith the Lord, here's what he said, well, that doesn't tickle my imagination. So where do we go? Go back to the masters. Go back to Rome. Beloved, I don't know what's going to happen. I think the days are short. But we don't know. We're here. We're here on this in this world at this time of history. And what we desperately need as long as we're here is for a movement of some sort, of churches, whether it's organized or unorganized, we need the Word to be taught. We need it taught. In every church, we need it taught to our children. We need to talk to our neighbors. And if, we, if we're not going to do that, if the Word of God is not going to rest on us, we're going to have the golden calf every time. It will pop up. That's what Aaron said, just popped up. <laughs> Whoop, there's the calf. I guess, I guess that's how we got out of Egypt. Went from the frogs to the calf. Dear ones, I, I, I hope you share my passion about this. And we've got to get the Word of God out. Amen. And to that end, we're uh, putting material on our website. We're, I, I, my goal is that by the time we're done with this, that we'll have a website that will teach the Bible to anybody in the world. And they won't have to be pagan. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, you've just been merciful to us to take us out from under the host of heaven and put us under Israel's Messiah with citizenship in heaven. Thank you for doing that, Lord. And we're so concerned about our movement and where things have gone and how people don't see the dangers of where they're going. Give us boldness, Lord, to proclaim your word. May your Holy Spirit fill us that we may be uh, like Peter was filled with the Spirit and he boldly proclaimed your word. May that be true for us. And may we help our children and our relatives and our neighbors to get out of this miserable paganism that's engulfing us on every side. And we thank you for helping us do our part to preach the word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.